Hi, I'm Greg Cohen from JWV Real Estate Capital. I connected with Pablo at our company volleyball tournament and I saw him absolutely kick some ass on the volleyball court. Uh, and you should connect with Pablo too because he is going to bring tremendous value to your life. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I learn from him. This means every single person you ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you. And you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every networking event or conference you walk into is both a library and your stage. Your network is your personal Google and you are a part of everyone's Wikipedia. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I am your Chief Executive Connector. Follow me as we meet people in my walks. Find out what we can learn from them, what they've learned from others, and what made them want to connect so you can learn to gain and give value to others in all of your interactions. I am terrible at asking for stuff, but if you want to do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you've learned from each episode, or at the very least, hit me up if I can ever be of service or any kind of value to you. Now, without further ado, let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And today we have a very special guest, my good buddy, Greg Cohen, who is the co-founder of JWB Real Estate Investing. And this is a company based in Jacksonville, Florida, that controls over $400 million assets under management. Is that is that accurate, Greg? 80 plus employees. They've been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Jacksonville Business Journal, constantly voted one of the best places to work. Greg himself is a friend of mine that we've gotten close to. I have here a list of people that I've known less than one year who I most admire. And uh, Greg's there at the top of it. So <laughs> super nice guy. Uh, also the social media phenom of the natural <laughs> average investor show. Greg, how you doing, man? Well, I think that that list that you have of those people is because Pablo, you know everybody in the entire world. I was the only person that you hadn't known out until that point. So I think I'm one of one. There you go. You know, in the last 12 months, I've met a lot of people, Greg. So don't don't undersell yourself. <laughs> well, I appreciate that incredible introduction. Hey, it's uh, what a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be with you. I know we get to share a lot of time together um, and a lot of the uh, hosting and, sh and the show that we do together. But uh, man, I'm so excited to be here on your podcast. But. Yeah, man, I was just telling you, it's kind of it's kind of weird to, to interview somebody that I've already interviewed like four times, plus done like 12 interviews with. But I think this is a story I really, really want to tell, man. I, I, you know, I kind of want to Put it in your own words. What what JWB is like? Can you can you kind of describe the describe the company to me? Yeah, I, you know, well, I'll tell you kind of what it's not. I'll tell you what uh, where I came from and and why we sort of built JWB the way we the way that we do. You know, I started working in corporate America, and uh, coming out of college, I remember the person that I was, and that person, as far as a career path, was was so focused on going to corporate America. And I worked really hard to get this job that I 
thought I wanted and I, I really kind of had this whole vision of what I thought my corporate or my career was going to be and it was wrapped up in, you know, going to a big company, learning from the best of the best and hopefully being supported uh, in my growth. And um, when I got there, I realized that was not the case. Uh, that's what originally brought me to Jacksonville and I started uh, that job within about a, a year, year and a half, I was utterly depressed. I was really in a tough spot. It was not just that I, uh, I was depressed because of my working environment there. There was no team atmosphere. There was no support. There was there was a lot of backstabbing. It was it was depressing for that. But for me, I remember it being more depressing because I had sort of built this up in my mind that this was where I, I I, I put a lot of my own kind of you know future in that idea and uh, probably some of my own self worth in that idea of being able to work for a big company. And it was a really tough tough time for me. So um, long story short, I ended up reading a book that absolutely changed my life. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And from that point, I learned the value of what they call minding your own business. And minding your own business can be starting your own company, which is what uh, we did with JWB Real Estate. But um, it doesn't only have to mean that. It, it's the mindset that even if you do have a wonderful job and you love what you're don't just think of that job being the sole provider of your income, of your retirement, of your ability to create wealth. Many people do this. They put these blinders on. They think they go to work and they have a company 401k plan. And they're just going to stay there. It's going to put it in the stock market and it's going to be fine in 30 years. You need to think beyond that. You need to take control and really mind your own business. Mind those things that you can take control of outside of your of your day-to-day uh, job. So um, for us, as I mentioned, that was a little bit more aggressive. Um, I grabbed my best friend uh, at the time, Alex Apakis. We, uh, we started JWB Real Estate Capital. We were a couple of 20-somethings with no real estate experience, uh, no money. Uh, and we started in 2006. And, uh, and all the grand timelines of when you should start a real estate business 2006 was probably the absolute worst time to start a real estate business because you had a, you know about a year of success before the market completely tanked. You probably got a little bit confident like we did. We thought we were good. And, um, and then we really had to learn uh, what it was like to, to run a real estate company. But you know what we learned was that the value of real estate for us and what we just connected with was rental properties. And so to original question, you know, what is JWB? It's a way for folks to be able to invest in rental properties in a way that most busy professionals have never had the opportunity to do. It's a way for somebody who wouldn't describe themselves as a real estate investor to have a portion or a majority of their overall wealth and put it into an asset class that's consistent, like rental properties, and to have a team to manage that for you. So that's what JWB does. We manage investments for investors all over the country and all over the world. I describe it when I'm trying to, and I'm going to go back into what you said, right? But I, I want to get this right because I, I describe your product as you give these guys 50 grand, they give you a three bedroom, two bathroom house that's been rented out for three years by a family in land that they bought in a house that they built that they manage forever and take care of everything. Is that kind of, that's, that's basically your product, right? Absolutely. Okay, sweet. That's pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll kind of go a little bit more in depth there, right? You're, you're buying a brand new construction home, right? You're buying a brand new construction home. JWB has already put a tenant in place there. And so what this is producing for you is income and positive cash flow from day one. 
and our management, our property management is in-house. We do it all. So for you, you have the opportunity to not only invest in the stock market or not only invest in bonds, right? But now there's another asset class that you can invest in where you can get the benefits of consistent income. You have upside because you invest in a market that is known to appreciate like Jacksonville. And then this passive approach, which people love in the stock market, you can be very passive, right? You usually can't do that in real estate. Well, you can do that now in, in the way that we do this. It's called turnkey real estate where we handle everything for you. So your resident, your, your tenant, I call them residents because they stay forever, uh, but your tenant is never gonna know who you are. You don't have to handle those phone calls. You don't have to handle maintenance items. My team handles all of that for you and, and our job is to deliver a return on that investment. So when you mentioned $50,000, right, that's the down payment roughly that you would need for one uh, investment property. Uh, and that's one brand new construction house, like you mentioned, three bedrooms or, or four bedroom, two bath homes. Um, where people love to rent here in Jacksonville. Yeah, the idea of, you, you've used the term passive investment for a long time, and I always just thought of it, yeah, okay, I get it, passive investing. I never, I never realized how truly passive it is until we started having our coronavirus updates and people started asking, well, should I reach out to my tenant and see if I could help him out? And you're like, no, 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 like let this thing be passive. I mean, it really is like a stock, man. I, you know, I never realized that, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too far into the weeds. Cause I, I want to dive a little bit into, into what you said. Cause you said something that I've never heard you say, or maybe you have, and I was too busy trying to do other stuff in the, in the interviews that we moderate. You don't really listen to me at all on the show, do you? I, 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 I get lost in, you know, in your, uh, in your eyes. So, um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, um, you said that I've heard you bring up rich dad, poor dad a couple of times. I never, I never contextualize it in the sense of, you know, for me, I've always thought that this story was, you guys had this vision of starting a real estate property because it was the real estate market. Cause I'm just contextualizing the time and like everybody could, it seemed like every bozo could be doing this. I never, yeah. I, never I, I, I never had you pegged as somebody that read a book, fell in love with a principle of control, you know, the minding your business thing, man, was it so, so was this, so when that hit, were you already thinking about getting into real estate when you picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or was it purely a, no, 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 this principle of minding my own business and controlling this outcome, was that what really drove you? I had no idea I would be in real estate prior to my experience uh, working for that company and prior to reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was the farthest thing from my mind. For years, my dad, even I remember this, there was this yellow book that he had in his house and he would always try to get me to read this book when I was in high school. And it was called The Weekend Millionaire. And it was talking about how millionaires, a large, a large percentage of them have assets in real estate, right? That's very well known. But it was this concept that you could buy rental property. You don't need it to have positive cash flow for today, because that was really hard to do back in the day, right? You don't have to have this tremendous amount of positive cash flow, Even if it just pays for itself, if you can buy that rental property and you can do that consistently and buy one a year or two a year or three a year, and you do that for a period of years, do that for a decade, then in 15 years or in 20 years, you're really gonna control your opportunity to retire or control your time. And so he constantly told me to read this book. You know what I did for so many years in high school and in college? 
ignore your dad? Totally ignored him. <laughs> That's what I did. Um, but then, you know, like best things, right? Your, the, the obstacles, the challenges that you face are your, are your biggest opportunities, right? When, when I found myself in a very a tough spot with my old job, a friend of mine told me to read this book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I'll tell you, I am not a classic entrepreneur. I am not somebody who is just a serial entrepreneur who, who I never would have thought I would have been an entrepreneur growing up. Um, I don't have entrepreneurs in my family. It's just not something that we talked about. And, um, but when I read this book, minding your own business really clicked with me, but the other component that really clicked with me was the power of income producing property. In this book, I, Robert Kiyosaki is the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he talks about how his rich dad uh, it saw such a power in producing income through rental properties. And to me, what I internalized was, man, my job right now is to, to be in control of an army of income producing assets. And I realized that time was on my side. And I was 22 or 23 or 24 at that time. And I realized that if I could get good at building this army of income producing assets, the income that day when I was 22 or 23 wasn't going to change my life, right? hundred bucks, a rental property, whatever it was, right? Not going to change my life. But what I realized that number one, I didn't need the income when I was 22 or 23, nearly as much. But if I put that army of income producing assets in place, over time, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, those loans would be paid off. Those values of properties would go up. And so I had to do the work early on to be able to enjoy the benefits of it many years later and that deferred gratification. So it was the combination of understanding that and then the, the concept of minding your own business for me that really opened up my eyes. And, and um, you know, along with my business partner, Alex, at that time, who, uh, who gave me that, that, that nudge to, to step out and, and to do something I wasn't really comfortable with. Um, and I grabbed another business partner, Adam Regal, about six months in, and I now have another business partner, Adam Eisman. Um, and so the four of us have just continued that same mantra. Um, and now we're going into our 15th year for JWB. So um, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. I want to I wanna get into the, the value of that relationship with Alex, right? Because you're saying you weren't a purebred entrepreneur kind of guy. And from what I understand, it was, it was a little bit of nudging from Alex to really, you know, you were in a bad spot. He gave you this book. You, you, you donned on this thesis. Uh, can, can you kind of tell me the story of how, how, how it started? He saw an opportunity. He absolutely went strong for that opportunity as far as getting his buddy to go into business with him. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, we've been best friends since high school. Uh, we've been, we went to college together. And so, you know, in college we, we were roommates and we, we kind of talked about the idea of starting a company or, you know, many times it, the idea of starting a company, the reason why we thought we'd be good at it is because we were the two guys out of our group of friends who could actually like get stuff organized to like go and hang out with your friends. And we're like, Oh, that's it clearly qualifies you as, as running a company. We should definitely start a company together. <laughs> so, um, but he, you know, I was living in Jacksonville. He was still in Gainesville. And, uh, and I would talk to him and he, you know, this was also the, uh, right around the Tim Tebow years in Gainesville. And so he used that amazing experience of us winning national championships in Gainesville, uh, to make me feel even worse about my, my situation as far as working for corporate America in Jacksonville. Um, 
And so, um, you know, when I just, I was kind of at my wits end and I said, Hey, but you know, I'm reading this book right now. I really think you should read it too. Um, we both started to read that book together. And from that point forward, we started to put plans in place. So, uh, we started to, uh, try to find mentors. We went to local real estate investing clubs. We read a ton of books. We worked up our own courage to be able to actually go and pay for real estate conferences. And we did all that, but I still really struggled quitting that job. Mm. You know, it was, it was an emotional thing for me to, to throw in the towel, to give up that really nice salary, to give up the benefits and then to go and have to create my own path. Um, and so I don't, I definitely would not have left that job as early if it wasn't for Alex. I'd like to think eventually I still, I, I would have, but I don't know. I mean, I, I owe him a tremendous amount of credit. Please don't let him listen to this podcast because then, you know, I don't want him thinking I say too many nice things about him. But uh, yeah, he, he gave me that nudge. You know what he actually did? So I was renting a condo in Jacksonville. That's where I was working. It was a two-bedroom condo and I had a roommate, not Alex. <laughs> I had a different roommate. <laughs> and so I would go to work in the morning when I was still working for that job. And, um, and then I would just hope the next nine hours of my life would somehow just be over. And then I'd come home and there was that depressing experience. So he said, you know what, I'm moving in with you. I'm coming over. So he just showed up one day and he's like, yeah, I'm not leaving, but I want you to see what it's like for me to go out and to find real estate and to be able to control my own day and my own destiny and not have to answer some boss that you don't uh, particularly like working with. Um, and so he moved in, he slept on my floor. I don't know if it was like a month or six months. It felt like 10 years. <laughs> and and uh, that's, that was the final, the final thing. So uh, eventually I, uh, you know, he, he got me and I eventually quit and we started this thing. So you guys were, you were still working corporate. I mean, you were working for like one of the big five accounting firms or something like that, right? Was it? Uh... I was working for, J for Johnson and Johnson. So I was, oh, Johnson I was actually in. That's right. Yeah, I was in finance. They told me that I was in finance. They tried to turn me into an accountant and I'm not much of an accountant. So that certainly helped my exit. <laughs> got it. Got it. I knew that you were in one of these like big, big companies. You were going to real estate conferences while still being employed? I don't know. I don't think I went to a paid real estate conference while I was being employed. I went to all the free ones for the longest time. And, uh, but I, you know, maybe we did. It, yeah, we no didn't have much money to spend. So it, it might've been right there when I made the decision. Got it. I, you know what? I actually bought my first investment property while I was still employed, uh, which was interesting because I bought a property in Jacksonville and I was in a leadership development program for J and J. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was well known that my next rotation was in New Jersey. I was supposed to leave Jacksonville. So I was buying this, this property. People are like, well, why are you buying this property? And so that one was kind of hard to explain why I was doing that one month before I was leaving. But you know, I was, you know, I told him what I, I told him the truth. I told him that I was, I was not cut out for the corporate America. Is that, is that that deal that you guys told me about um, in that interview with Alex? Can you, can you kind of tell me that story, man? I, I, I like the deal is, it's, it's a crazy story, man. Please, it's, please. It's only believable because it's true. Please tell me right? that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so the first condo that I ever bought was not that deal. Okay. That was a condo. That was the condo that I actually uh, lived in for a better part of uh, for a few years. Uh, horrible investment, by the way, because I bought that condo in 2006 and, uh, and then the market crashed. Uh, but you live and you learn. The other, the deal that you're talking about was our first investment property, right? Our first real estate investment property that we bought. 
And how much time do we have on this podcast, uh, Pablo? Because I've got, I could probably go for like 45 minutes in this story. Man, I was hoping you could do this in like three to five minutes and then we could get up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the condensed version. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex and I, at this point, I had quit my job and we went to a, a real estate conference. At this conference, we had never done a deal before, but there was a gentleman standing next to us mm-hmm. who had never done a deal before as well. But he said he had a lead. And uh, so we took a lead, look at the lead and we were like, oh, well, we have a ton of real estate experience. We've done this a lot, except we hadn't. And we're like, we think that there's real value here. Would you, could we strike a deal with you that we could do this lead, could we, that we could buy this property for you? And the, the guy said, you know what? It's not something that I feel like I can handle. So yeah, so we struck a deal with him. We paid him a finder's fee for this lead. Now this lead was a lead, it was a piece of paper with a guy's name on it in Jacksonville that needed somebody to buy his house very quickly because he was about to lose it to foreclosure. Mm-hmm. And all he wanted was to stop the foreclosure on his record and there was equity in that house. The guy who we bought the, we paid the finder's fee to had never actually spoken to this individual, we learned later. <laughs> so, but what did Alex and I do? We were looking for our first opportunity to do something and we said, here's what we need, this is our big opportunity. Let's leave this conference, which was in Atlanta at that point. We drove overnight to Jacksonville because we had to stop this sale within like a couple of days. And I drove, we drove all the way through the night. I walked up to the guy's door to knock on the door, expecting to be able to try to help him and to be able to buy this house and full of just positivity after driving for seven hours through the night. And of course the guy didn't answer. <laughs> so, so now what do you do, right? We drove all this way. We left this conference. It was in hope and a dream. We ended up going back a couple hours later and the guy answered and we ended up talking to him. There were so many obstacles from that point forward until we could actually buy this property. We had to work with banks to stop this foreclosure sale, which couldn't be done, we were told a million times. We had to raise the money to be able to buy this property in two days, which we didn't have any money. We don't come from a family of wealth, so how are we gonna do that, right? We had to get documents signed in Tallahassee and we had to drop off the check in Orlando this all had to be done. Alex's car was unreliable. It couldn't even run. He had to rent a car to go and get these documents signed in Tallahassee. Long story short, we ended up borrowing Alex's mom's retirement account to be able to buy the, the property. We stopped the sale, even though the bank told us that we couldn't do it. And I had to take this $100,000 check and drive it down to Orlando to drop it off at the lawyer's office. And that was the hardest part of this deal because I had to drive for two hours holding my, my mom, pretty much my mom's um, retirement accounts. And I remember being overcome with fear and not sure if I should do this, um, but we talked through it. I did it, I dropped it off. The worst part about it actually was the way I had to drop it off, I didn't even get to hand it to a lawyer. I had to drop it off in one of those mail drops where you like pick it up, the mail drop thing, and then you put the check in and then slams down and goes clink. Like that was it. And uh, all of our hope and fear and, and dreams were, were there. Um, we ended up buying that property, saving that sellers from foreclosure, helping him out a tremendous amount, uh, being able to pay a finder's fee to that individual who we got the lead from. And then we ended up selling that property uh, to an investor ourselves and making a nice profit on it. Um, and it wasn't about the money. It was about doing it, doing it when so many people told us we couldn't get it done. Um, and from then on, you know, we've, we bought another 3,000 plus properties since then, but you'll never forget that very first uh, property that you purchased. Such a good story. And there's also like a part in there where like Alex, 
like stands up and holds his own auction or something like that in the middle of town hall. I like it's it's such a great great story. So I'm I'm deliberately painting this this picture of a couple of like twenty something year old guys going willy nilly and 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 doing you know flying by the seat of their pants kind of thing because nowadays I I walk into your I walk into your building right like I think the first thing that you invited me to is your your Tuesday morning meetings I walk in I see this like staff of 85 88 whatever whatever you guys have plus for a one hour meeting completely dialed in completely engaged I know that you guys have been in like the Inc 5000 like 6 years in a row you win best places to work and the the dichotomy of you know two guys that went to UF that are just kind of going hard at it to, to, to what it's become to what I have now witnessed is, is really what fascinates me. And what, what do you think, what do you, what do you attribute to the fact that you've been able to build a textbook company, right? Like you guys have, like, I was looking at it the other day. I think I said this in front of Iceman the other day, but like you guys have like you take a, you take a company out of a textbook as far as like diversity, resiliency, procedures in place, all this stuff and and all the awards and all the accolades what what do you attribute this path that you guys have taken in the last like thirteen years that that has allowed you to to create this monster man like it's it's incredible well thank you for for everything you just said there. Uh, <laughs> It means a lot. I mean, it's been so cool to have you come and experience this. It's kind of like me getting to re-experience all the beauty of JWB again through your eyes with you being a part of our team meetings and us doing our show together. It's been, it's been awesome. Uh, you know, to your question, I, I think it's a, a commitment to the core values that we have. And the core values that we have attract the type of people that we have on our team. It attracts you to working with us, right? It attracts clients, the right clients come to us. And then we enjoy working with those clients so much more, right? It attracts the right residents, it attracts the right vendors. And, you know, there's a few core values that, that I probably say every single day, we have 10 core values, but you know, one of them that I believe so much is that you need to empower people to fail forward, right? Empower people to fail forward. That is what started in the beginning. That first story that we just talked about, there's a billion examples of failing forward there and not being afraid to fail, right? And every day, it's that same way. And, you know, I am not afraid to fail at all. I, I, I enjoy, you know, small failures, right? I mean, I think it's easy to, to learn from them, right? You learn so much more from your failures than you do from the things that you do well. Uh, but so many people are concerned about failing. They, it's a, it's an emotional response they have. They don't allow themselves to grow that way. Um, so I think that's really, really important. I think um, the concept of under-promising and over-delivering is, is a core value that we have, and it just means so much to me too. And, and so, you know, the ability for you to set the right expectations for your teammates, right? For those people that you bring on board, right? We try to tell them about all the wonderful things that you get, by being a part of the JWB team, but we tell them about the downsides too. There's nothing perfect in any working situation, even though we've won best places to work, you know, I don't know, I think it's seven straight times or eight straight times. I mean, we're not perfect, 
and there's no perfect job. You got to enjoy the journey. And so while you have these wonderful things that you're going to be a part of with JWB, guess what? You have a ton of responsibility. <laughs> you have a commitment to, to perform for thousands of people. You don't get to hide behind a, a corporate structure. They're going to know you, right? You got, you got to answer emails on the weekend, right? You got, if somebody sends you an email, and it's a really, really important after hours, you better answer it. You know, that, that type of service, right? If your team needs you, then you need to do whatever it takes to be able to hit your goals and take care of that person, right? Um, within your department, within your team. So, you know, I think under-promising and over-delivering in everybody that we try to do business with is really important. Um, and, you know, all of our core values are really, really important. So I think that's the core of kind of what we've built. And throughout the years, it has always been that way. Those core values allow us to make the right decisions for JWB. And now what you're seeing is 15 years later of making those same type of decisions on those same core values. And now, now it looks effortless, right? It wasn't that way in the beginning. And um, we try very hard not to take it for granted and, um, and continue to live out those core values every day and to talk about it with our team. So I think that's the secret, my friend. That's really interesting. So what, I think my second episode was uh, with Jerry McNamara, who is like a, you know, the name top CEO, blah, blah, blah. And his whole thing is core values also. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you just self-described as not a naturally born entrepreneur, and yet you're telling me now that you are not afraid to fail in any way. Is that, are those two separate things? Is this a muscle that you've built up? Did you naturally, like, where do you attribute, where do you attribute the, the lack of fear of failing forward? Do you think it was parenting? Is it that you just started kind of doing this and now you're 16 years in? What, how do you attribute that piece, man? Because I, I struggle with that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just been a gift that I've, I've been given mainly by my upbringing. Um, my lack of a fear of failure has always been there for me. Um, even when I was working at J and J and before that and college and whatever I was doing, you know, I just, I just always felt that if you just gave it your best shot and you were a positive person that even if you screwed up, you're going to build a positive relationship, you know, as long as you just act with good faith and try to do right. I just, I was just never really concerned about like, the downside of failing, you know, I, I just never was. So, um, I think that that's really attributed to, to my parents, um, and, uh, my, my family dynamic growing up. And then I think it's a muscle. Yes. That you continue to work at and you continue to grow and you continue to make sure that you're not afraid of failure and you continue to try bigger things. When you accomplish certain things, you try bigger things that, that you're not afraid to fail at. And, I would attribute a lot of my continued growth in that regard to my, to my business partners. They challenge me like brothers. We are brothers and um, it's a continued growth. And I, out of the four business partners, uh, you know, my business partner, Alex is absolutely the serial entrepreneur. And then there's varying degrees of, of everybody's entrepreneurship. I'm near the bottom still, uh, even though in the, you know, I would say outside of our JWB bubble, most people would look at me as a, as a, a pretty, you know, confident or normal entrepreneur. Um, it's all relative. <laughs> I'll tell you that you get in a room with other people who are much more entrepreneurial. Uh, I'm definitely the most risk averse still to this day. So, uh, it's a muscle. You continue to grow and you surround yourself with the right people and you continue to take strides. So I know you're a heady guy, man. So I'm going to ask you this, it's kind of a tough question, but I have to assume that you've thought about 
what made you, what in your parenting made you not afraid to fail? And I know how much you care about being a dad. So like, how do you, what, what are your thoughts on how do you instill, and, and you're an amazing leader, right? So like, how do you instill that fear of, that lack of fear of failure into people? Like what, 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 what is it that made that happen? I, you know, I just, I, I just, um, it's, it's a really great question. You know, the first thing that came to my mind is my kids. And, you know, I think one of the greatest things I can give them as a dad is to show them it's, it's okay to fail and it's okay to screw something up. And, you know, I, and I, I think it all starts by feeling confident and loved and secure in your surroundings. And so I think, you know, the best thing that I can do to help my kids is, is to be that type of a, a loving father. And then I think that that same mantra kind of extends everywhere else too, right? If you can create a, a safe place for people, then people feel confident enough to go out there and take a risk, you know? So we try to do the same thing at JWB. It's why we put our core values on our wall. Um, <laughs> it's why we talk about it every single team meeting that we have. We have a section devoted to core values. And many times it's us talking about mistakes that we've made and how we recovered from it and how something positive came from it. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's my job as a dad to create that safe place for my kids. And then as a leader of the company, I feel like it's my job to do that for our team as well. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because I, I, I see how you, you approach communication in a very measured way. Like I see that you always set an expectation. You're always upfront with stuff. And then I see you being very, very balanced. And I guess that that is, to me, that is the combination that I see in you creating a stable environment, like in every room I see you in, which as somebody that is trying to serve you as a customer, like empowers me to fail forward, right? Like I've had moments where I'm just like, Oh crap. And then you're just like, no, no, that's cool. You know, like, and you're always just kind of focused on the end goal. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you, how you approach communication and, and, and relationship building and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, communication is really important for me and I, I never realized how much value and um, effort I put into it. Um, until we, we kind of started talking about it, really. I appreciate, you, you know, I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate you asking these questions because I learn a lot about myself when you ask me questions. <laughs> um, but it is something that I care about. I, and, you know, I just think that if you surround yourself with highly skilled people who are good people and your intentions and your goals are aligned, then you're going to win in the long run. Now, if you don't have people that have the skills and they're not good people, and your goals aren't aligned, I don't care how good your communication is, right? You probably should invest your communication time somewhere else with, to finding those good people. But, you know, you do have those people around you. They have the skills. They have the, um, they have the uh, they're good people and your goals are aligned. Then it's worth it for you to put extra time and effort into the way that you communicate. And communication to me, it is so easy to communicate when time is good, when times are good. It's how are you communicating in tough situations that really separates you as a communicator? And for me, when I looked at those people that I admire, whether they're world leaders, political leaders, business leaders, friends, family, those people that could be able, that, that were able to communicate in a way that really moved people, that were able to deliver tough messages, but, but still had people smiling at the end of the day, that were able to speak loudly or to, to make mountains move without speaking loudly, I think those, those are the people that I always had the most respect for as communicators. And that's what I try to, to be. I, I don't feel comfortable yelling. I don't know the last time that I yelled. 
<laughs> right? Like, it's just not, it's yeah. not me, right? So I, I, but I think it takes time and I think it takes effort and I think it's a muscle that you continue to exercise and, you know, so I, you know, I, I think that's, yeah. it matters. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, man. I, you know, when I hear you describe that, I'm hearing that's exactly how you create a safe space and stability for people to be able to fail forward. So it all kind of, it all kind of connects, right? It, it just makes, to me, it makes so much sense. Like it's a return on investment is kind of how I feel about it. Right. You know, you make a big investment in the beginning for communication, right? Let's talk about how you and I communicated, right? Like in the beginning, we, we talked a lot about our vision collectively for how we're going to do this, right? We had that big kickoff meeting that we spent like two hours when we talked about metrics, right? And me and you were marketing guys. All we want to talk about is content and like how we're going to serve people, right? Yeah. But we, we had those, you know, that, that investment in our communication up front. And I know that is going to pay off years and years and years and the dividends that are going to pay off years and years and years. Um, and so, you know, with our team, it's the same way, right? You spend a lot of time through the hiring process, communicating, making sure that you have that, uh, you have those same expectations, you know, on our team, we have weekly one-to-one meetings where we just sit down and talk with our direct reports specifically about them. And it's not about the project that they need to manage to get done. It's not about, what tasks are required it's sitting down and saying hey how are you doing there's been a lot of change lately how are you feeling how's your family what's going on what are your personal goals are you gonna buy a house this year to move in are you getting married this year you having a kid let's talk about that what can i do to support is there somebody i know that i can help you accomplish whatever your personal goal is yeah. um so we do that of course so I think it's, it really comes down to a return on investment. I'm kind of figuring this out the more we talk, Pablo. So like I, like I said, I learned a lot, but I really, it comes down to a, a return on investment um, when it comes to communication. Yeah, honestly, man, like I think this is the beauty. I, so this is kind of my whole thesis in this podcast, right? Is the more people you talk to and the more intelligent questions you ask, the more you get to learn about other people and the more they get to learn about themselves, right? So like, I love that you're kind of putting it all out there. The other thing that I try to, deconstructing this podcast is how I've met everybody and why that worked. Right. So like, how did, how did you and I meet? Volleyball brother. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we had a JWB team building event, uh, where we brought our entire team out to the beach and we had a, a JWB volleyball tournament. We always invite those, uh, personal relationships, friends, uh, clients, those who are local who want to come out and, and be a part of what we do, whether that's volleyball or that's, you know, volunteering and, and all that. So, um, I remember you were there, you were one of the only guys I didn't know though. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, ah, who's that guy over there? Volleyball game's not too good, but I should probably go and say hello. Uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, so, yeah, man, volleyball was, was that I got to know you through, uh, through Whitney, Richie, who's a big part of our team as well. And, uh, you know, I remember you just being really interested in how you could help others. And it was a selfless persona that I was immediately kind of drawn to. And I don't know if that's strategic or, or what, but it's really powerful the way that you approach other people. And it's not just me, other people on my team that I've gotten to know you have all said the same thing. Um, and it, it is, it's a really powerful thing. So, you know, you were all about, um, learning more about who I was and learning about JWB. And, um, we instantly hit it off because we had similar goals and we had similar 
passions and marketing and we were kicking ideas back and forth. And, you know, from that point forward, I always wanted to be able to figure out a way to be able to work together in some way, shape or form. And that could have been us in sort of a little mini mastermind little thing, right? Like I could be swapping ideas with you. You could be swapping ideas with me. Um, it's been really wonderful that it's progressed to where, you know, you're, you're the, uh, you're the host and I'm, I'm the Tony Romo, right? So you are the Tony Romo. <laughs> you are so, the Tony Romo. That's interesting, yeah, man. So I, you know, I was going to go, right. You intuitively went where I wanted to go, right? Like where, like what, how did we meet and what, what drew you into wanting to have a relationship with me? And that's great feedback because the, I, I guess it's strategic, right? It's, it's, it's definitely a learned behavior for me, right? Like I, I definitely grew up just as loving attention and I got my attention because I was this like entertaining kid that would be able to like talk to anybody and at some point in my early 20s, I'm like, all right, man, this like spiel about being about me is, is going to be short-lived with attention. And, if, and, and I realized that really the way to get attention is by helping other people. So it is, it, is strate- it is strategic in the sense that it comes from a very self-serving need of wanting to be loved all the time. But it's, it's become very genuine because that is really at the end of the day what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to you know, know as many people and, and be as close to good people as possible. Um, but yeah, that is definitely, that is definitely what I've realized in life leads to the richest relationships. And that's all I really, really want. Um, so that's really, really cool feedback, man. I appreciate that. It's incredible that you had this sort of, I'll call it an epiphany in your twenties. I mean, most people don't ever learn that lesson. People definitely don't learn it in their twenties. They're, that's their time to be selfish. Right? Well, it was late twenties. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what it was for you that, that, Cause that dramatic shift in realization for you? It was a, it was a really good buddy roommate also, right? Like I, I think I have to, I think I got to give this back to Brian Rosenthal. That was my roommate in California. Like when I lived in California, I described myself as like a, just a disgusting animal. And it was really at the peak of my self-centeredness, I would say, right? Like I was just this like fat, disgusting beast. And I was really like lived in a gross place. And I lived with this guy that was about to quit his like super, you know, lucrative computer forensics engineer job to go like volunteer in India for kids. And, and it really made me look inside. And, you know, at a certain point, the house got to a point where he was just like, this, this place is super gross. And, and I realized that I had hurt his feelings and he went away for a week and I didn't ask him anything about him. And I'm like, man, I'm really like not building a relationship with this super nice guy that I really like who's really funny and I want to be friends with forever. What am I doing wrong here? You know, like it's always, I've always just been funny. Um, and I would say, I would honestly, I would obviously give it, give it back to him to like that moment of self-realization. And then it just really progressed through moving back to Miami, getting involved with charities, realizing that really the best people in the room are the people that are the ones that give and, and then, it, and then, it, and then it kind of, well, but if I would, if I were to bring it back to an outbreak monkey, I'd say Brian is my outbreak monkey. Um, wow. so I'm, I'm going to send him this. I think he's going to like that. I was going to say, does he know? I've, I've, told, I've told him I've never broken it down to him like that. Like I've always been like, Brian, you've been a great influence on my life. You've always been this like super positive experience. I didn't, you know, but I don't, I don't think he realizes that he really was like that, that, that moment where he came home from Napa. I didn't ask him about his weekend. And there was like a, a pile of dishes with like gnats in them. And, <laughs> and all I wanted to do was watch Lord of War with Nicolas Cage. And I didn't want to pause the movie because I didn't want to miss it. Um, you know, <laughs> This is a great visual. Do we have video or photos of this time, by the way? Oh, uh, th- 
there's plenty of videos and photos of Fat Pablo. It's uh, it's like uh, it's. I, I was I was gonna bring up Fat Pablo too. Oh, it was when we were talking about um, <laughs> Don uh, Greg Quixote and Sancho Pablo. Uh, that that's what I was gonna tell you that Fat Pablo really did exist at one point. He's a nasty individual. <laughs> oh, man. But good man, that was a good that was a good that was a good dive in. So let me ask you something, man. What what did you learn in your twenties? What, what what is something that you really really believed in your twenties? that that you now are just like man I can't, you know like that you have evolved past mm. uh, i'm trying to think of a different answer but everything's coming right back to what i learned in that book rich dad poor dad i mean that changed everything for me i went from somebody who just uh, in the typical corporate uh, environment i thought that as long as i got these good grades then i would get this job and then as long as I got that job and then I got that promotion, then I would get this next step up. And then I thought that when I got that promotion and I, I thought very sequentially right there. And at each sequential step, I saw security. I saw, you know, pride. I saw the ability to pr provide for my family. Uh, I saw all of those good things. I saw income rising and I saw um, long-term wealth. I just thought that was the model because that is what is taught to us everywhere we go in the school system and in the world. That's what you're taught. And I remember that whole dynamic breaking down in front of my face when I saw what was happening at my old job. And then when I also saw that compared to the beauty that was in this book and what I realized is that I was putting my faith in this social construct or this career construct, that was, that was, it was a, a fantasy. It wasn't real. You don't create more security by getting more promotions. You actually get more trapped by getting more promotions because many times what happens is you actually increase your expenses <laughs> and then you're beholden to this job that now has requires more time, which takes less time from your family, which, um, and so this whole construct changed for me. And then I realized that I was in control and that it is so much better for me to be in control than to put my faith in some construct of that is just not real. You know, mm -hmm. I, I now have so much more security. Hey, we're going through coronavirus right now and I'm not worried about my security because I'm in control of my business, right? I'm in control and I can take care of all of these people in JWB and do it the right way and make sure that they're not worried about it, right? But why, why, did, I, why did I just so willingly put my faith in this construct before? So yeah, that was the big epiphany for me. And uh, once I realized that, um, it gave me strength, power, uh, confidence to be able to go out and to, to effectively execute and to take, you know, slightly bigger risks, I would say every single year, um, once I was able to accomplish a few more things along the way. Interesting that two, we just described two things that we realized in our twenties that we've basically based our whole life around. That's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Very cool. All right. We are now in the rapid fire lightning rounds of the podcast. Bam, 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 bam. You ready? Let's do it, brother. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite restaurant in your favorite city and what dish do you get there? Uh, Primani sandwich in Pittsburgh. You get, you get the Pittsburgher. It's a, Pittsburgh. a sandwich 
It's, it's got, it's like a pretty much kind of like a cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. It's got French fries on it. It's got coleslaw on it too. I don't really eat coleslaw, so I take the slaw. Anybody from Pittsburgh who's listening to this will probably make fun of me because you're supposed to keep the slaw on. But it's like a burger. It literally like puts like at least like seven pounds on you when you eat one of them. And uh, Dowson and Heinz ketchup and, and uh, Primanti's, man. That's, that's my favorite. Awesome. Is that what, there was a time that somebody coined like a Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, right? Like, is that, was yeah. that it or is that a different thing? Primanti's has been around for a lot longer, but okay. I think they had some version of it for, for Ben Roethlisberger. Got it. Yeah, I just remember somebody came up with like calling a famous sandwich a Roethlisberger at the time or, or, or whatever. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ben's yep. fallen some from graces over there. Anyways. <laughs> what you talking is, uh, trash on my Steelers in the fire around here? Huh? I talk trash on my Steelers. I'm not, dude. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan. I told you that the Steelers are like my second, are my second like team after, after my self-hating Dolphin love, um, because go. my best best friend is a big Steelers fan, so I have watched a bajillion Steelers games. I was just, right. you know, big, big Ben is just a guy that I thought was a better human being than I thought he was. That's all. Um, what what content are you most into right now, right? Like this could be like, what are you, is it a book or a podcast or, or, or some show that you're watching? Is there some kind, like what's, what's the latest form of content that you've been most obsessed with? You know, I've been uh, listening to an audio book uh, called Shoe Dog. It's the mm-hmm. memoirs of Phil Knight. Have you listened to that one? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. And I started to really get into it when I was training for this, what's called the Gate River Run in Jacksonville, where it's, a, it's a, about a nine and a half mile run to 15K. And I'd never done that before. And so over the last two months, I've been getting out early and running and uh, building, building that up. So you read this book, it's an incredible story. And the thing that I love the most about it is it's Phil Knight, who is the creator of Nike, talking about all the struggles that he went through building the company. and it's many times he's a runner. So many times it's him running and talking yeah. about him running and, you know, early in the morning when the, the trees are talking to him and the wind's blowing and nobody's around, he's telling the story. And I feel like I'm Phil Knight when I'm yeah. listening to it. So awesome book. And I would highly recommend it. That book was, so one, somebody I interviewed on this podcast, Eddie Ariola, who like started a bank in 2000 and, uh, in 2009 and just recently sold it. And he had never been in banking before. Like two years ago when I was taking this big risk and, and moving up here and working for this Amazon company, I was like, what's the number one book I need to read about business? He's like, Chew Dog. So awesome. Great book. Really? Um, yeah, man. And I love, I love how like all his meetings are like, yeah, so I arrived, uh, you know, I arrived to Palo Alto and we went for a nine mile run to talk about business. And, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. cool. and, it's, and it's all just the struggles, man. It doesn't even, like at no point is Nike crushing it in that book. It's just like, that's just the last chapter where he talks about hanging out at Tiger Woods' funeral but the whole time is just like the struggles of building this empire that we've all grown up with as one of the greatest brands in the world, right? And he's so transparent the whole time. Yeah. He talks about his own you know, deficiencies and, and wow. I mean, actually, as I'm listening to that book, be prepared, Pablo, because I got a ton of ideas that we can take and, and run with because people are attracted to transparency, being genuine and um, being yourself. And I just thought that was an incredible example of that i've been saying it more and more lately man i think transparency is the highest form of currency these days i totally agree man i'm in i'm in for whatever transparent stuff you want to do as you know love it (laughs) um what is the last time that somebody changed your mind about something that you like long held true 
uh, man, you caught me there. I, I had an answer for you. And then you said that you long held true. Well, it can you be, it, can, it doesn't have to be like long, long, but like, yeah, I, I, this, this, this question is proving, which I've kind of, you know, like I've hit this up, right? Like I, just, I like to prove the value of having other people in your life to like not get lost in your own head kind of thing. Well, my, my first thought is my business partners every Wednesday change my mind a lot. Um, I, I work with three highly intelligent, highly capable, highly passionate, highly stubborn guys uh, and myself, you could, you describe the same way. And, um, and we get together and we spend every Wednesday offsite and we go through our entire businesses, all of our businesses. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to bring high level topics that we need to get everybody's insight into. And the commitment that we have to the four of us is that the collective call it genius that we have, the collective mindset that we have is much better than any one of ours. And so we are all open uh, to others' ideas, even if it is directly against what I came in thinking I thought or wanted or very passionate about. We have a lack of ego and we have humility to be able to, to move forward with consensus decision-making. So, you know, I just got out of a meeting on Wednesday with the guys. We spent eight hours on a Zoom meeting like this. <laughs> and it wasn't all fun topics, right? I mean, we, uh, we went through some really tough topics. And uh, my mind gets changed every single Wednesday. And I'm okay with it. I love it. That's, that's in a business sense, they are my, my foundation, my rock. You know, that's how I know that if we continue to have a lack of ego, and uh, humility, and the ability to have our decisions or our mindsets change between the four of us, then we're going to win in the long run and do right by everybody who depends on us. I didn't get too much into it, but the uniqueness of, because mostly because I know that if I tee you up to talk about other people, you're not going to talk about yourself. And I wanted this interview to be about yourself, but the, the uniqueness of the fact that you guys run this company, like you guys are all for alpha male CEOs that could easily run your own hundred million dollar company. And that you guys run this thing like the Knights of the Round Table with completely like consensus based decision making, as you know, I think is a really, really special, incredible story, right? So I just, I just wanted to bring that up for our friend that's listening right now and <laughs> not to sleep on that thing, right? Like to me, that's the most fascinating, you know, that the culture that you guys have built and like that, that piece of it is, is the most fascinating piece of the company. Uh, any, talk to anybody else out there and they say a four headed decision making unit for the type of a, a you know, medium-sized business that we run, they say it won't last. Correct. Uh, they've said that for, for 15 years now, and we believe it's a source of, of strength for us. Agreed, 100%, man, 100%. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? You know what? My mom gave me this, and uh, I know this is a podcast, so you can't see what I'm holding up every single time, but this is on my desk. It says five simple rules for happiness. Number one, free, from your heart, free your heart from hatred. Two, free your mind from worries. Three, live simply. Four, give more. And five, expect less. I look at this every day. I think that, that nails it right there. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to hit you with the last question. But before that, right, where do people that want to connect with you, where do we, where do we or want to connect with JWB, where are they supposed to go? I'm going to put it all in the show notes and everything like that. But I, I just kind of want to have you mentioned it on the episode so that it's not, so it is not lost. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, brother. So if anybody is interested in uh, building a rental property portfolio, 
uh, we can do that for you. Um, the best place to find us online is at our website, jwbrealestatecapital.com, jwbrealestatecapital.com. Uh, you can also call our office at 904-677-6777. But one of the places we love to have people find us, Pablo, you know where I'm going next, brother. I was hoping Find you us on our Facebook group. Get to hang out with me and Pablo, right? Yep. We, um, we have a Facebook group that we both invest a lot of time and energy into because uh, we love it and it's a great opportunity to connect. So you can find us on Facebook. The name of the group is JWB Rental Property Investing. Uh, and if you want a quick link to get there, just go to jwbrealestatecapital.com slash group. And that'll take you right to the Facebook page to find us there. I also want to recommend the YouTube channel where our Not Your Average Investor show is, right? Like we are, we are producing high level TV quality interviews of leadership at JWB, Jacksonville leadership, clients. It's all business advice and life advice from like very, very accomplished people. It's been a super enriching part for me to be a part of because they get to do this, right? Like ask these questions of these amazing people and then have Tony Romo show up with his uh, <laughs> sneaky athleticism and boyish looks and ask amazing <laughs> color commentary, AKA Greg Cohen. Hey, we have some pretty awesome guests on that show, don't we? I mean, we've got the awesome. CEO of the chamber. We've got uh, Kyle Brady coming up soon, who's a client and a former professional football player for the yeah. Jags and for the, for, for the Patriots. Yeah. We've got uh, former mayors coming on board. Um, we've got my business partners, as well. So but yeah, man, we've got, uh, this show's really taken off. It's something that's fun to be a part of. Man. It's been cool. And we're going to get Tim Tebow, right? Am I right? And Tim Tebow. And you know what? He is, he, I get a lot of text messages from Tim Tebow. I haven't, yeah. I haven't asked him to jump on the show yet. Cause I'm just, I'm playing it cool with him, but you know, cool. I'll ask him soon. That's the way to do it. Holla back, Timmy. Last, last question is Greg, where do you, where do you find a sense of community? Where do I find a sense of community? Uh, Man, you know, what do I find a sense of community? I, I think in order to be able to give to others and to kind of be a positive contributor to other parts of the community, you got to have a really strong sense of family and uh, to be at home. I think it's where it starts. So I'm so thankful for my wife and my two beautiful kids. They, they bring the best out of me. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, you know, I, the friends that I have, I'm just really thankful for. You know, I've always, it's kind of funny. I'm not the most outgoing person. So I don't really kind of make new friends outside of work relationships because it's all about home and it's all about work. And then there's, there's church and, and things of that nature. But, you know, bringing new people into my life that, um, that, you know, I can kind of devote time to is, has been pretty tough for the last five years <laughs> or 10 years or so. And, um, but I think that it's really important to do that, you know, and, and I think of my relationship with you, Pablo, as one of those relationships that's been really great to build that type of a, a relationship that we have. So, yeah, I think it starts at home. Uh, the JWB community between our team, uh, between our clients is a, is a big community for me. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you have a platform to do good, you know, church is one part of the community that I'm really involved in, but uh, being able to serve other people in the community. How cool is it to kind of create your own relationships by all being altruistic and all helping others? So, you know, that's my sense of community in, in a nutshell there. Awesome, man. Well, Greg, listen, I want to, I want to acknowledge you, man. I, like I said, I, 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 
I kind of say all this stuff tongue in cheek of how much I admire you or whatever, but, but in, in reality, right? Like hearing you speak, especially right now, like I feel very fortunate to be somebody that has been able to in very simple ways, just gain access to you. I see how, I see how busy you are and the fact that we've been able to build this relationship. Um, I feel very fortunate for it because you are one of these guys that I, like, I'm not kidding when I say in the last year, I don't know of anybody that I met that I more want to be like when I grow up, right? And the way that you communicate and the way that you, the, the way that you nurture relationships and, and your leadership style has been something that I'm learning a ton from every day. I see you as a very, very positive influence to every room that I see you in and a lot of rooms that we've shared now. So I just want to acknowledge you for that, man. And thank you for being on the show, bro. You know, what an honor, my friend. And I think you and I attack life very similarly. And uh, it's an honor to know you and it's an honor to call you my friend and uh, just enjoying the amount of time and the good things we get to do together here. Um, inside work and outside of work too. You got to take me surfing more often, bro. Come it's on. happening. It's happening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation right there as much as I did. Listen, Connect with Pablo is a content marketing community creation agency. The bottom line is that if you can start creating content that can give value to your customers or audience while creating strategic relationships through it, you can have a content machine that allows you to tell the story of your business through the value you are creating while gathering people together. If you're curious about that or know someone who could be, please shoot me an email at you should at connectwithpablo.com or hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn through the profiles tagged in the show notes. If you just want a quick pick me up and some tactical advice right before walking into a room full of strangers, go to connectwithpablo.com, watch the five minute video about how to walk into a room and not feel like you're all alone and or download the little cheat sheet on how to do just that. I have a lot of my friends that I've done networking with me for a long time tell me that they love watching that thing and carrying it around when they're walking into a networking event or they're walking into a conference or sometimes even if you're just walking into a wedding and you don't know anybody, right? It has a lot of use for it. I invite you to check it out if you need it. I really hope you stick around, connect with me and start leaning into finding value in others and feeling like you have value to give yourself. It'll make the world a better place. I promise. Until the next episode, I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector.